athletes take your mark and get set it's time for the addict to athlete podcast everybody coach blue robinson here thank you everyone who's been downloading subscribing giving feedback on this podcast we love it when you share this with people that you know that they might be able to use it for their own recovery or a loved one that might have someone that's struggling this is a great podcast for you to get all kinds of information about recovery about why about the who's and definitely the when's so athletes, I want you to check out our Patreon page. We have a new Patreon subscriber this month. I want to give a shout out and thanks to Gary Thurston, who is a rookie level donor. Thank you so much, Gary. Appreciate your help. Uh, Gary joins Kenny Roseman as a as a rookie, as well as uh, Josh Hansen as a rookie level producer, as a rookie level contributor. Thank you so much, you guys. We appreciate your help and support. And then we have Carrie and Scott Foster. Thank you so much for your pledge, as well as Brett Frew and Chris Williams. You guys are all rock stars. Thank you so much this month. And then, of course, we have our professional level donors. We have Jim Copeland and Selena Armitage. Thank you both, and thank you all for contributing to Addict to Athlete on the Patreon platform. Your bonus content's been posted for this month, and you're all on your way to receive all the merchandise and things that uh, we do a little bit special for those who participate in the Patreon donation page. Athletes, we have lots of stuff on the horizon, specifically the 2020 Virtual 5K. This is going to coincide with Recovery Month and a great opportunity for you to go out and run proxy for someone that you love that may have lost their battle or is continuing to struggle and battle with addiction. So you can register on our page, addictathlete.org. And uh, there you can find our links and uh, the way to get in there and really get yourself and your family um Get you guys registered and uh, run with purpose and run with power and help support Addict to Athlete and Recovery Month throughout the whole country. Well, athletes, this is a, a, a good podcast that we wanted to put out there specifically because it was uh, uh, an opportunity that Marissa and I took to just kind of, I guess, freestyle our own opinions and thoughts on a few things that were weighing heavy on our heart. And so we wanted to put it into podcast form to get it out there because we really do believe and feel that it's a good um, message about hope, about sobriety, about our thoughts on a few topics that we were, again, kind of carrying and it was weighing heavy on our hearts. So I want you to, to listen to this podcast, share it with people that you feel might benefit from it. It will help us turn the mess into a very powerful message. We've got a lot of neat things coming up. We've got some awesome podcasts. We're down here editing and we were doing some stuff. And, and it's interesting because um, today it was, it was kind of a cool day. Uh, very packed therapeutically at a lot of individual sessions that uh, we did today. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, there's a lot of chaos right now going on. And it's, it's crazy. When the pandemic started, we knew that there was going to be some, some heavy times and some heavy lifting that needed to be done in your own personal recovery. And, you know, as this thing gets longer and as emotions get more intense and as opinions and viewpoints and social media starts taking over, we start to lose a little bit of direction. And because things haven't gotten as normal uh, as we thought they would and things are taking a little bit longer, it's got me thinking pretty deep on a few levels. Um, you know, for instance, when I was out on my run, I was thinking a little bit about um, you know, how there's amount of training for, for this, for this run that I'm not registered for. You know, I'm, <laughs> We're not run, doing I'm just out running, you know, weird, right. And it came after I, I went in and got some, some work done on my back um, from an amazing guy who uh, started like doing some deep tissue massage and Holy Hannah, that yeah. stuff hurts. You've, you've done that, right? Yes. <laughs> oh man. 
but it was interesting because as he started kind of like pushing out these knots and stuff in my back, he was like, dude, you carry a lot of stress on in your back. I'm like, what? Who does that? Right. Yeah. But it got me thinking about care of self and about where we are at in our recovery. And um, got me thinking a little bit about what, what's going on in your guys' worlds. I mean, we always have these things on Team Addict to Athlete that we hope work. And a lot of it's because we, we just kind of get a feeling that we should talk about it. But as I was out running today about, you know, listening to David Clark's book in my, in my earphones and, and out running, I got thinking, you guys, we're here to help. And that's what Team Addict yeah. to Athlete's about. And, what can bring um, you guys the most? We were talking about this tonight, and it seems like a lot of us, um, are losing our direction. We're losing our steam and we're taking things personal that we shouldn't and we're taking it out on ourselves. And I've seen this with a few of the athletes and a few of my friends and a few people that I've grown to, to love. And I'm wondering how, how much of a self-esteem hit has this taken on us? Mm-hmm. I've seen a, a few comments on other platforms talking about how, uh, you know, people have relapsed and how to handle that and how can they get on and talk on a public platform about addiction recovery if they've relapsed don't worry coach blue hasn't relapsed but what i'm saying is that we've got to start getting real serious about what's going on because we're going to be losing some some athletes yeah. and some people that we love i know so Merz and i were talking a little bit about this and about uh you know when do you make the decision that it's over and when you fully commit um that you're done and, you know, deciding is not making a decision. I mean, deciding is the process of making the decision. You know, incision and decision means to cut and to remove. Now and repeat so that. Slow down. You, what? <laughs> I said slow down and repeat that. <clears throat> Sorry, Coach that's gets good. on his platform. Look at the root word of, of decision, right? Incision means to cut in and remove. So when you've made a decision, that means it's been removed. You're, you're done with it, which means that the deciding period's been, been processed. You've come up with an, an action plan, and you've got to now move on. If you remove something and take like it surgically out, surgically removing it. Yeah, you can't dive back into it. And so I start looking at commitments and about you know processes and, and why there's so many that have not fully made the commitment to make the decision to stop using to find a more excellent way to deal with problems. And trust me, no one likes dealing with problems. And when you use, it takes away the pain of all that process. And we live in a society, as you well know, Marissa, that we don't like being in pain for some strange reason. Just discussing this with our kids. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We were out playing lacrosse after a really busy day, uh, therapeutics, and uh, we were tossing the ball back and forth, me and Boston playing lacrosse. And he didn't play for very long, and he comes back after taking the dog to the river, and he's kind of standing like he's in pain. And we're like, dude, what's wrong yeah. with you? He's like, I'm just hungry. I'm like, do you want to go home? Yeah. Yeah, I want to go home. But like, it was his whole plan here. to go to the park. Yeah, to we the just park. got here. Well, apparently he, he, he took a corner too tight on his little hoverboard and, and ate crap. And so he's got scrapes and bruises all over him. I'm like, dude, you were out here throwing the ball with me, lacrosse, and you were all scraped up. I had no idea. Um. But then we come home, we want to clean those wounds up. And he's like, no, that's going to hurt. Like, not as bad as it did just a second ago when you, when you, when you, you know, tasted the ground. Let's get you yeah. cleaned up. And it's kind of funny because as he walks out here all ticked off because we're going to put some, some ointments on his wounds, he's like, he's afraid of pain. That's right? going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Yeah. And I'm like, when did we stop being okay with pain? When do we use it to be something so feared and so worrisome that we are afraid to get hurt? What's happened to us as as people. 
if you've been in recovery, if you've been in addiction, you know what pain's about. Nothing compares to the pain you've already experienced. So why do we go back? Because emotional yeah. pain stings worse than physical pain, right? Yeah. But where are these decisions that aren't being made? Where, where do we, where are we lacking? Well, and I think we need to understand that that pain is there as a, for us to respond. It's there to tell us something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And if we always try to avoid it, then we don't recognize what's wrong and where we need to steer a different direction or where we need to course correct or adjust. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember a few years ago, my mom getting double lung pneumonia and I was like, how, how does that, how how does that that happen? You know, doesn't that usually start with a cold? Well, at that time, she'd had lots of other issues and problems and she was on quite a high level of pain medication. So when she would have normally gotten a cold and struggle breathing and all these other things, those pain indicators that something's wrong, she didn't feel that because it was all being masked by the, the painkillers. And by the time she recognized it, it was when she couldn't breathe and she could barely walk and talk because then it was double pneumonia. Too too late late. almost. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's just way too much. And so we need to identify when we feel these pains, where it is we need to maybe move, adjust, change, learn something, you know? I think this is the principle on why I don't like talking about recovery. I mean, I I get it and I know why it belongs in the English language, but it bothers me when we're in a constant state of recovering from some kind of pain. And it it bothers me because our bodies and our minds and our souls are designed to heal themselves. And when we start focusing too much on the recovery process, we're forgetting that we can heal from this. And we have Mm -hmm. this open wound that may be dried up and scabbed over, but it doesn't ever heal when we talk about recovery. And I get thinking, then what's your purpose for getting healed in the first place? Yeah. You've got to have a strong sense of a purpose. So when people get out there and they have a little screw up and stuff, is that a relapse? I call it a slip. Brody's lost its purpose, a little acronym mm-hmm. there. But why, what's your purpose, right? I mean, I look back at my life. There's no way that I can, I'm an anomaly, that I just somehow drew the golden ticket to meet Willy Wonka in the recovery <laughs> factory. You made it. Because, you know, to me, there's only five tickets. Yeah, I only have five tickets. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Because to me, I'm thinking, all right, I made a decision and I was done. And that was it. And I think it really can be that easy. It's hard as hell, but it's easy. You can do it. It's, 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 it's easy if you make it easy. I've learned to really. Yeah. I think sometimes it's backing up and explaining some of those steps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is the thing, right? I mean, you know, a million years ago when I was done, I was done. And I lost some friends and I lost some, some relationships and, and it sucked, you know, but nothing, nothing to me was worth where I was and where I was headed. I just wasn't, I made a decision that I was finished. Which meant you had to, to cut out. Yeah, I, I cut out. The and unfortunately, I had to cut out friends, some friends, substances, excuses, some family, family. Yeah. You know, behaviors. And, yeah. All that stuff. And I get thinking, all right, well, what did I, was it just that easy? No, it was 20, what, five, six years ago. Mm, I don't know. It was a forever 24. ago, 24 years ago, but it sucked. And my life back then was really not going real well. Um, and I had to really make up for lost times when I started coming out of my shell and finding purpose in a new life. Um, and, and, and it sucked. I had to walk away from everything. Yeah. From family, I walked away from my mother, you know, and my siblings. I walked away from everybody, and 
and you know, oh, holier than thou blue and all this kind of stuff. Well, if that's what it took for me to get clean, that's what it took. Um, but I think, you know, people are afraid of the pain factor. They're afraid of getting hurt again. Mm -hmm. And we can't be afraid of getting hurt. We've got to learn to enjoy the suffering. I, I think there's another principle. piece to it. I Yes, pain is there. We've got to be able to feel it and be okay and sit in it sometimes and work through it. But then I think there's a confidence and a self-esteem piece to that. Well, you know, you know again, I, and I look at that kind of stuff and I get it and I, and I understand it, you know, but where does confidence and self-esteem come from? You know, because I didn't get that growing up. I really didn't. I mean, you're, you're looking at a guy who suffered major, major child abuse. Yeah. I have scars on my body from a very upset stepfather, you know, multiple mm -hmm. stepfathers. And I have every excuse in the world to be a world-class addict. I really do. I've got the, the neglected family. I've got the abusive stepdads. I've got the poverty sneaking into people's houses to get food. I have all of that stuff. I have all those stories. Like I said, you want to get real humble. Try talking to your kids about the scars you have on your body because a stepdad didn't think you should be getting up in the middle of the night and he whips the hell out of you. And so I have all these excuses to be a world-class world addict, but like yeah. at the end of the day, that's all they are. Like my pain is the exact same as every athlete that I've ever worked with, every client I've ever worked with. It's the exact same. It feels the same. It flipping hurts. And so I'm not saying that I'm a superhero or anything like that, but I learned to channel it for what it was and not for what it isn't. I mean, it's no excuse for me to take it out on myself to be a drunk or an addict so I can put my kids through that cycle because as much as that hurt me, do I want to do that to mine? Do I want to have them feel the same pain that I went through? Do I want them to have the same scars that I carry? No, I wanted them to have a more excellent way to live. How did you know that there was something else out there? Because I think a lot of people get stuck of, of faith. that is all there is because that's all there was in your family. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I took a leap of faith. I knew that nothing that I could potentially be in could be as bad as where I was. I was it hurt too much, and I wanted to get away from the pain. The only way to get away from the pain was to get out of the abuse cycle, you so, know, and it wasn't easy. And like I said, I was alone for a long time, and even though I had friends and I had people around me, that wasn't really doing the trick, you know, it was, I mean, shoot, even when I met you, I was still very much the dry addict, right? I yeah. mean, I wasn't using, but I still had all of the, the baggage. I had all the manipulation, yeah. all the lying, all the things that said, you couldn't love me because I'm way too broken. Yeah. And that was a couple of years after. That was, yeah, it was a couple, a couple years, years after. after. I mean, I hadn't used using. anything, but I was still very much in that mindset of who's going to love me and who's going to care about me. And like I said, you were way out of my league. You know, you, you really were. You, you'd never even, you'd never use, you weren't an addict. No. And I'm so sick of, of that principle of like, you know, only an addict can help an addict. That's baloney. That's baloney. Because what I learned real quick from you is that although I had all these pain and I had all this abuse, you knew what pain was. You've, you've had disappointment. You felt neglected and abandoned and hurt and not, and not heard. You've, you've had all those. You had the exact same feelings I did. Yeah. You didn't use. How in the world did you do that? How did you not choose to go and, and avoid the pain or, or, or suppress it with alcohol or using? You could have. Yeah. Why didn't you? Well, I think luckily I had a support system that was around that taught me different. I didn't know that that was an option because I didn't see it. It wasn't something that surrounded me in our family and our daily life. You know, I was given 
a lot of other coping strategies and tools and you know you still I hurt, swimming and right? oh yeah I still but I found other ways to deal with it and work through it talking swimming exercise you know so when I found that out I remember being very aware of the fact that you knew and you know how bad that stuff hurts you've been through it different players different situations but you understand the pain and my pain wasn't any greater or any less than yours. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped comparing myself to other people. I stopped comparing like, oh, yeah, well, if you want to know what it feels like to be so poor that your parents have to go and like stand in line for the block of government cheese and you're on food stamps and you're getting mocked and you're wearing clothes that are your hand-me-downs from your older brother in the 70s and you're living in the 80s, you know. Well, how, how, all that how did stuff. you get past that, though? Because really, yeah, some of your pain was worse than mine. Oh, yeah you know, different. Well, no, it wasn't this. It was, but just, how did you it was just a different mechanism. It felt identify that it was the same feeling, but different situations. Not that, yeah, that really is worse. Yeah. How, do you just jump past it? No, man. No. I, I, I embraced it. I figured out where it came from. I was sick of blaming yeah. it on everything else and everyone else. I stopped being a victim. And instead of blaming, I had to take accountability. You helped me take accountability. That was one of the biggest things. Mm -hmm. Me taking accountability for things that I did and for lies and for manipulations and everything that I did, me taking accountability was huge because it all of a sudden lifted this huge burden off of me. So I moved from from victim to to agent of sobriety. You remember the time I had to call coworkers and and explain to them about, yeah, yeah, you know what, you've heard heard some stories that uh, kind of, you know, just let go and hey, that's that wasn't true, but you know, I'm sorry. I remember that, being that sucked. sick. Yeah, that sucked. You happened when to I had that. to when I had to be honest with you about yeah, you know what that that whole high school graduation yeah that didn't really happen. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a high school dropout. You yeah. know, and, and for me to be accountable and to be like it's all out there like unadulterated honesty, that was so scary because it was like all right, are you gonna hang in? Or are you gonna are you gonna leave? And you you said I'm not gonna do it for you. Yeah. but I believe in you. And so I'll be here waiting, well, but my life moves on. I'm not going to do it for you. And it was awesome because I got to take accountability. And so yeah. by, I think <clears throat> step one of, of having a secure recovery, take flipping accountability. Yeah. It's not easy. It sucks to have to look yourself in the mirror and call yourself, you know, Hey, you're an addict. And that was yeah. when that died. That was gone with me. You want to call it 12 steps? That was the first step. Admitted yeah. that I was powerless over that. And then I became powerful in it. Yeah. And to so surrender to I the surrender. truth yeah. of what is for I a while. Stopped, you know? Yeah. You want to look at the victim and agent paradigm. I stopped consuming, you know, lies, manipulations, people's time. I stopped, I stopped consuming the money and substance and all this stuff. And I started to create it and produce it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, again, taking, taking those steps of, of moving out of that fear-based, who's going to love me? That's why I had that. I remember early on, who's going to love someone that is such a pain in the ass? Who's going to love someone that has such baggage? Um, mm, so messed up. So right? messed up, yeah. And, and who are they to judge me and all this other stuff? You know, well, that stuff is dumb. We got to get, you know, living in that kind of mindset well, is toxic. I- people that aren't going to love you for that you don't want to love you (laughs) you know you don't want in your life if they're going to judge you for that that's not who you want to be around that's not who you need 
I think that there's a, there's a, there's a thing why which we talk about being humble and having humility. And I think that's important, but until what, because, you know, being humble to a fault too is, is not a good thing either. I think we also have to understand that there's boundaries that need to be set. And in my own life, I started understanding the principle that it's a privilege to have a relationship with me. It's not a right. And, and that rubs people the wrong way. It really mm-hmm. does. But those are the people that I don't really want to have a relationship with. Because if they can't respect that, then what's the point of me even trying to invest in a relationship? It's like when you bring yourself to me and I come to you, I want it to be real. So how do you build on that? Because that's that thought process, the belief comes from somewhere where you've got to have some confidence and some self-esteem that you're worth more than nothing. I've been manipulated, I've been beaten, you know, and I'm thinking – you, you, uh, let's say parent child relationship, you know, stepfather, mother, whoever you say you love me yet you're beating the hell out of me with this, with this belt, or I'm starving. You guys aren't bringing food home or I haven't seen you in a week. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you call that love. Like, that's, that's some pretty screwed up stuff. You know, I know. I, I mean, again, what I made you feel like you were worth it though? Like, where does that confidence or self-esteem come from? Because I think that's where we have, you know, we've had tons of athletes. We've had tons of clients, past clients, friends that really struggle with that. Like, I'm not worth it. That's all I've been taught my whole life because, you know, they beat me. They discarded me. It's the analogy of the cave. It's about seeing it for what it truly is. Plato's allegory Plato, of the Plato's cave. Plato's allegory of the cave. Yeah. And, and for those of you go, those that don't know that, it, it, it is a real principle, specifically when you're trying to understand the darkness that is addiction and how we perceive the world. You know, it, it really is. Um, I think a large part of that came from spirituality on me. I think a lot of it came with me understanding my place in this universe and how small and insignificant I really am comparable to how big and how much I can do. Does it make sense? And, and like to see like who I am in the measure of God's eyes and be in a spiritual mindset mm-hmm. and to be able to, you know, to have a win. I mean, if that's all you're taught and that's all you believe, yeah. um, you know, then you typecast yourself into that, that role for the rest of your life. And for me, it didn't feel right anymore. It just didn't feel good. You know, I I see other things and I'm coming out of the cave and trying to get my eyesight to, 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 to zoom in on like what life really providing. And do we need to, I guess, clarify that allegory? We should probably (laughs) clarify the allegory. It might help. You know, the old philosopher played. Are you guys keep having to stare at coach blue here, but the athletic director doesn't want to be on camera, but I don't fit in the stage. I should move over. (laughs) We'll fix it. Um, But I, you know, it's Plato, the old philosopher, talks about these guys that are stuck inside this cave. They've been chained, and they're facing the backs, the back of the cave, and all they see, there's a fire. So it would be like Nacho Libre here, yeah. right? But he's turned this way. To the back of the cave. Yeah, and all he sees, let me turn this off, because I think it would probably reenact this, right? Maybe, possibly. Yeah. So turn off some. You got Nacho Libre here, it's fine. So there's a fire behind Nacho, and... The fire there creates light, which casts a shadow on the walls of the cave. They're chained up. They can't see anything except what shadows are behind them. Okay, behind the fire is the opening so of the cave. Like this, so you can see, you can see a shadow. Yeah. Right. So, there's so a fire. behind that is the 
opening of the cave where the world really exists, the world really is, and people are passing by, there's shadows. Yeah, there's people like, going by, like see Coach Blue Shadow back yeah. there, there's people going by. People, you know, doing life, and all they see is the shadows on the cave wall. Mm -hmm. Soon, one of the guys gets unchained yeah, and gets to out. come outside and go out into the world. First off, he recognizes, wow, there's sun and there's light and his eyes take a while to be able to adjust when you, you know, when you've been in a dark place, you have to adjust and all of a sudden he sees grass and trees and, you know, water and yeah. these things that have, he has only seen through the reflection, the reflection of the shadow on the cave the shadows, yeah. and he can touch them and they're three dimensional and he sees and he can feel the wind and all these things. And he gets so excited and he runs to the back of the cave and he tells his friends, tells you've friends. got, you've got to see this life. You have to see this world outside. This isn't real. What we're looking at isn't this real. Isn't reality. Right. This isn't reality. What you've been seeing on the cave walls isn't real come with me. And some of the guys are like, no, that's sorry. No. They don't believe him. Don't they believe don't it. because all this they know, all know, this is all we know. Yeah. And so we get stuck in all we know instead of there's a whole world out here. There's three dimensional mm -hmm. life. But if we don't, we're not willing to turn around and go and exit the cave and look at the real world. We, we won't see that there's another way. There's another life outside. So I think when I was able to see the real world, when I came out of that darkness and I started seeing that my, my neighbors all had the same last name and they all looked the same and they didn't have different fathers and, and I could start seeing like this world and you know, getting out of, out of this little, I, well, really it was when my mom married husband number six, I think. And mm -hmm. um, there was a, like for a period of time, some stability. And I got to see things that uh, I'd never seen before. Um, so although I was still in the chaos and in the cave, I could yeah. come out and I could see that that's not reality. So you saw glimpses, I saw glimpses of, of that life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my siblings all follow the same pattern of the abusive cycle. They all got married and divorced and married and divorced. And, mm -hmm. and I was looking at this writing on the wall, being the youngest kid and seeing all this terrible heartache and, and, and hopelessness. And I'm like, I don't want this. Yeah. I had to make a conscious effort to change. And it started that by stopping to use. Decision. And it started me leaving the cave for good. And I got ridiculed. I got mocked. I got spit on. I got, remember, for, I mean, for, for years, I was told by my mother, I never want to speak to you again mm -hmm. after she had pulled some funny business on us. And I said, be careful because I'll respect that. And it was years. Yeah, years I think it was years, five years. You know? and, and it's sad because even today we don't have a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but the hard part about all this is where's the commitment you know, yeah, it sucks. You know how much I hate birthdays because like, yeah. you know, and it's, it's a weird thing. It took us years to under, figure out that. It took years to figure so out that I don't like birthdays because I'm waiting for a phone call from a parent or a loved one that never comes. And I'm like, you know, what's the point? Why am I even expecting this? But to make a, a, a commitment and a decision to be done with that lifestyle um, and then to, to put that effort into my family into into mm -hmm. this i look around the place i'm at right now with my education with what i get to do for a living i'm so so blessed and i'm thinking it wasn't easy to get here no. you knew how hard it was for me to go to school holy crap from a guy who dropped down of high school to come back and go to school to finish adult high how at how embarrassing was that 24 years Walking old in my little book bag as adult you know yeah. <laughs> and then going to college and having you literally walk me to class my very first day to all the learning disabilities that I figured out when I was in college 
And then trying to figure out like, all right, so, you know, am I just dumb? And then figuring out that, well, some of your math learning disabilities come from messed up childhood. The abuse you suffered. The abuse I suffered. And then getting really pissed and angry that now that I'm an adult and I'm trying to provide a better life, I'm still getting kicked in the face by someone who, who beat me up as a kid. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and so you told me something that made perfect sense. And that was don't just settle for no. You don't have to just settle. You know, and I try to teach my, my athletes and my clients that too. Don't just settle, you know, don't dumb yourself down so that someone, you know, puts in like horrible value for you. You flip and put your value sky high and if they're not willing to pay or to invest, they don't get to hang out with you. Well, and I think that comes from some of the little (laughs) things that you did, you know, like you didn't, that no. confidence didn't just show up because you had a you belief and you, was, you saw right? that something else came. Yeah, I, right? thought, I thought in a funny, weird world, I wanted to go into law enforcement. And I learned very quick that that was probably not in my cards because you got to kind of be mean sometimes. <laughs> and I, my, my, my heart doesn't beat that way. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go in and do, you know, EMT paramedics. I wanted to help serve people. Mm-hmm. We knew, so you knew that. The very yeah. first thing I did was, you know, got my adult high school diploma. And then I went and I enrolled in, um, in paramedic school or, or I mean EMT school. Right. Yeah. And I saw blood for the first time and I'm like, I can't do this. Like I can't, I don't have the stomach for it. I can't do it. Sick. But I passed the test and I passed the exams and I started to figure out that I'm not dumb. I was a horrible student, but it wasn't because I was stupid because I thought I was, it was because I wasn't ever given a chance to start a school year and to finish because my family moved school. 28 times before I was 18. That's insane. But to me, that was normal. Yeah. There were times we didn't even unpack boxes because I knew we were going to be moving, right? Yeah. And just because of the lifestyle that my mother lived and the way that we were in and out of relationships, that's what happened. And so, yeah, I felt like I was dumb. And so I was in resource classes, all this kind of stuff. So when I graduated adult high school and then I went in to get this, this little you know, EMT certificate, I was like, yeah, on my way. But then, like I said, saw blood and I'm like, can't do it but but i passed and it gave me that little drop of that you you thought that was impossible and you did it so there was two victories that i had high school and then this certificate right yeah and then because i'm working in in the field of of working with youth i was approached by a guy um his name was steve allred and he said blue i see you hanging out with the kids and you're really good at making connections with these guys yeah you ever thought about going to school to do uh you know, counseling. And this was like, what, 1999. Yeah, and I'm like, like mm, what is it? And it was, you know, the new school, the, it was, uh, you know, the school of social work up at the university of Utah, which yeah. was um, the, 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 the Sudsy class or LSAC class back then. Yep. And so I put college on hold and went in and I got this counseling degree to become a licensed substance abuse counselor. And I'm like, Holy crap. And I remember thinking that was good enough. Yeah. I'm a licensed substance abuse counselor. That's good enough. That's all I need. And uh, because of some of my spiritual beliefs and whatnot, I was told that I should get the best education possible. And, and I really thought that was it. And you're like, no, there's more you could do. Mm-hmm. And I remember signing up for college to prove you wrong. Yep. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to fail out of college to prove you wrong. <laughs> and I freaking passed. Math sucked. That's a whole other story. We won't talk about that. But and it was hard. It was really hard. But I remember when I wanted to give up, you said, when one door closes, another opens. And don't take no for an answer. Keep going. There's a way to do it. And holy crap, the dean of the college at the time, I had to go have a little conversation with. And, and by the grace of God, I made it through. Yeah. And so, holy crap. People look at that and they think, well, it was easy for you, Blue. 
No. No, it wasn't. No. Because they look at you now with the degree. That's it. Yeah, but that's not the thing. That's the, that, none of that matters. What matters is, is that, A, I made a decision that mm-hmm. I was done with that lifestyle. Yeah. And all anything necessary was never going back to it because I knew where it would lead. I've seen where it led. Yeah. You know, and, and you didn't, I think you, you recognize some of those experiences oh, within your family, not just in your own life. Like, oh, let me try it this way. Like you've no seen way. and you learned enough from other people. There's no way I would put my kids through what I had. I mean, remember when our first daughter was born and I'm carrying her around a brand new baby on a pillow yeah. because I was afraid to hurt her because dads hurt kids. And I remember you mm-hmm. thinking, well, they're kind of rubbery blue. You're not going to hurt her. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I'm like, I don't want to hurt this kid. Yeah. And it kind of hit me like, blue, man, you've got some messed up thinking. You're not going to hurt this kid. Remember when we, remember when, I, when, we, when we first got married and I moved in? And uh, we'd open the fridge like a year later and I had a can yeah. of, oh, yeah. of like, what was it? Like V8 juice. It was, yeah. It's a, kind of like a tomato, tomato Campbell's, juice. but it was the juice. It wasn't a soup. Yeah. And I remember we had that in there for, for like a year. It was like two years. And, and you're we, like, it was forever. Yeah. yeah but we bought, before we it moved. was two years. We, mo- we bought our first mm-hmm. house. We moved into the house and we were there for about a year. So probably three years, this can of this juice. This can of, of like tomato juice. And, and I finally like, said, what is, what is this for? Like, do we need to keep this in the fridge? Like, do you have something you're going to make with it? <laughs> yeah. One of the sauces in the door. And what did you tell me? Growing up in poverty and with no food, all you needed was a can of the V8 juice and some noodles and you've got spaghetti. That's why I hate spaghetti to this day. I hate it. It's one of the worst meals ever. I didn't know they had this other stuff that was tomato paste and meatballs. Sauce and- but for me growing up, and the way that we did, we didn't have yeah. that stuff. I remember being heartbroken hearing you say that. Yeah. You know? And I remember being able to throw it away because I'm like, wait a minute. There's always food in this fridge. And, and holy cow, I've never gone hungry anymore. You have a job but, and you hold it down and we pay our bills. Yeah, and Yeah. And, you know, my kids will never have to understand what horrible <laughs> spaghetti tastes like. Because yeah. I don't want to put them through that. And so I stopped making sobriety and recovery and pain about me and I took myself out of it I started making it about my family and and so so, you you took some of those little successes as well mm -hmm. that like well if I can do this maybe I can do the next thing absolutely and 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 that's how it worked and I still do that even to this day well if I can do this maybe we can do that and you know self belief is a hard thing to wrap your head around when you don't think anyone believes in you and you and, don't believe in yourself. And again, uh, I was pretty bankrupt when it came to, to life. And I think that uh, my higher power, I think God was the one that slapped me out of that. And, you know, say what you will about the local religion we have dominant around here, but it saved my life. Yeah. It, was, it gave me an opportunity to serve in a way that I'd never been, been able to before. And the only reason I joined that church was because I love to serve. Mm-hmm. And when I was serving my fellow man, I worried less about myself to the point where I'm at the massage therapist today and he's like going to, Hey man, you got to start taking some time out for you because you are screwed up. Your back is You're jacked back. up. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, you know, well, where does that come from? Right. It's mm-hmm. like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. Yeah. But that's my lot in life. And so when I hear guys giving up or I see friends my age throwing in the towel because of a bad relationship or, or a heartbreak or some kind of roadblock and they just throw in the towel and say, screw it. I'm just going to go back to treatment for the 15th time. I get a little pissed because you don't need to keep going back to 
to inpatient treatment and running away from your problems. I get really upset with that because who has the time, who has the money, who has any of that? You've already, you have the answers inside. Would you knock it off and look at yourself in the mirror? Yeah. Stop running away from it. You know, let the people that need long-term treatment go, let them go. But for you, open your eyes, you know, stop running away from the pain, feel it. Make friends with it. Be able to identify it. Heal from it. Stop recovering from it. Heal from it. That's a, it's a big thing. And I know it's not popular. It never has been when we talk about that because when we first started Addict to Athlete, how much, how much crap did we get? Yeah. Our philosophy wasn't popular. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'm sorry. I don't care. I'm like, we're not addicts. It's a part of us. It's, it's, who, it's not who we are. It's part of who we are. And mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to admit that I was powerless over my addiction and I had to identify that I was an addict, but it, but it stopped when I started moving on. Yeah. And I said, all right, but now I'm also a, a husband and a scholar, you know, and, and a counselor and then a, then a parent and then an athlete, you yeah. know, and, and so many other attributes. And I think if we get stuck in this mindset that we will always be in recovery, then we will never heal. And what a horrible life. Yeah. I can't imagine having a wound, just open you know, this horrible gaping cut, gaping cut and being like, it's, it's in recovery. It's, it's, I don't know. And I get it. I, I get it. I get it. You know, we'll catch flack from it, but I don't care. It, it's yeah. not the way that we do our life. And, and I just, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting torn up inside because I'm like, you guys stop running away from the pain, scrub the wounds, bandage them up, put the ointment on them. And then when they start mm-hmm. feeling good, take the bandage off, scrub yeah. it again, and it's going to hurt again. You need a real. Sometimes you need a really good counselor. You need a really good doctor to and look you at your to medication. Stop farting around. You got to start getting real. Start you, going for the core. Yeah. That's you why. don't always need residential treatment. That's why when we get into it, it's like I can help any person out there feel great about themselves. I am very good at helping people just see all the positive stuff inside and it's going to feel super good and I'll pat you on the back and we'll be best of friends or I can help you heal and all of us can help each other heal and we can point out the wounds and we can help you scrub them and we can help keep them clean. But you guys, it's going to hurt. We've mm-hmm. got to stop being afraid of pain. Yeah. Look at our society. Look at our society. Go to any pharmacy, extra strength, Tylenol, maximum strength, bear, extreme Excedrin. Yeah. Why? Because we want pain gone now. We don't want to wait. But guess what? It's all the same stuff. Like there's nothing in there to make it go faster. It has to metabolize the way it always does. But in our minds, it's like if I get the extra strength stuff and pay a buck 50 more for it, this little weak stuff, you know, this normal aspirins, you know, yeah. Those are for losers. I want the maximum extreme stuff. Fix it now. We got to get out of our heads. I think that uh, moving from from victim of addiction to agent of sobriety is not an easy thing. It's no. just not. And there's sometimes when we have to let things go, that's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. But on the same breath, man, I'm uh, uh, my heart aches for those who are out there who just who just get stuck. Who just don't believe that there's a more excellent way to live. Um. I'm not even sure how we got on this huge tangent, but yeah. we were talking. I thought we should probably share this with the people out there because this team is only as strong as those who make themselves emotionally vulnerable to talk. And um, none of our pain is, is, is any different than anyone else's. And we can all compare scars and wounds and all that kind of stuff, but to what end, mm-hmm. you know, life's going to hurt. 
And if we can learn to enjoy that, enjoy the suffering, it's going to make those good times even better. And we don't have to do this alone. You know, stop, stop hiding. Come out. Let's get you, let's get you the yeah. help you need. Find that higher power, your spirituality, find your team, find your, you know, the people that are there that really want to help. Jump on Vance really, Johnson's page and listen oh to my his goodness. feedback. This so inspiring. Has been, I mean, I thought my pain was bad. Listening to, to Vance Johnson, holy crap, man. And to see his spiritual awakening and how now he sees, you know, himself being this instrument in God's hands. He's amazing. Yeah. You know, stop looking for the, the, I guess those that want you to be the victim. Stop, stop hanging out with that crowd. Find, We're stronger I think it's, than we think we are. Yeah. I, we always talk about the five people you spend the most time with, you know, find, find people you look up to that inspire you, that motivate you. And if you can't spend time with them physically, you've, find them on Facebook, you find them on, you know, YouTube and you start watching their videos and just, you know, like people say, oh, well, I didn't have a dad growing up. You didn't have a dad growing up Mm -hmm. and you are the best father to our kids. (laughs) Thank you. And it's not because you had the example, you know, Mm -hmm. you taught yourself from what you had learned to do the opposite and you looked for men who you wanted to be like. And there's a lot of them. And you started copying them. Yeah. Mirror what they do. I did. And learn. I literally, and I, and I know people hate this too, but I had to fake it until I became it. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was called practice. Yeah. And you I know? think sometimes we always, you know, we talked about this a little bit last night, is you start with those thoughts and you change the thoughts, then the feelings and the behaviors. And I think you can go outside in on both ways. Start with the behaviors, change your behaviors, which will change your feelings, which will change your thoughts. And start with your thoughts, go outside in on both sides. It's a big deal. You act, you do different, you will start feeling different, you will start thinking different, you start thinking different, you will start feeling different, and you will start acting different. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think that's kind of a, a blueprint for success, you know, I mean, everyone's hurting everyone and and it hurts us because we want everyone to make it i want you guys to be able to live life to its fullest i want you to be able to enjoy your kids i want you to be able to go outside and run around in the rain i want you to be able to like experience those really peaceful spiritual moments and then those really private spiritual moments i want you guys to have those but when we get distracted with all the bullshit we get stuck and i'm like we don't need to be living life like that i mean it's it's hard and my heart breaks because i can't be an anomaly i know that there's a lot of folks on addict athlete have been sober for many years yeah we're not anomalies we're not what we've created can't just be like i said the golden ticket i saw carly fox posted and said she got a golden ticket too carly fox i'm proud of her yeah that's cool But There's yes, a lot of golden tickets out there. I'm sorry you know? if we got on a, on, a, on, a, on a huge soapbox, but man, I, we've just, it's been an interesting day, a lot of heartache, but a lot of success too. And so everyone's hurting right now. So let's just, let's be cautious. Let's be a little more welcoming. Let's be a little bit more uh, head on the swivel, looking for folks that need help. There's a lot of programs. I can't, I can say this a million times. We are so lucky in this state. Yeah. People compete for your, your, your recovery attention. I love it. We have, we have no excuse not to find 
a program, you know, support system, back, you know, addicted we stand, uh, fit to recover, yeah, recovery, recovery strong, strong sore, addict to athlete, yeah. twelve step, you know, Al Anon, all these things. We are so lucky. Go out and be a part of something. And I think almost all those programs are free. They are or very low cost. They really are. I mean, you guys, there are people out there that at the moment's notice will answer your phone call. You have zero excuse to be an addict in 2020. Yeah. If you're in Utah, you don't. We have chapters of addict athlete all through the state. We yeah. have some outside the state. So I really think that it's time that we stop making excuses for ourselves. Yeah. Make a decision. Make a decision and be done. Look for a different you know? view on life. Find little things you can work on to build that success you know to get those little drops in the bucket it's going to you know takes time yeah it's, 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 it's okay. why we hate going to the dentist yeah. so you know it's not going to feel good no matter what yeah. they do it's going to hurt so don't like, yeah and don't compare yourself to yeah. anyone else this is a race this life is a race and maybe you're just down at halftime but yeah. we've got a long stretch still ahead they and say that every good story has a great beginning a hard part in the middle and a beautiful ending so if your hard part you're experiencing right now guess what? You're in the middle. It's not over yeah, yet. It's not done. So anyway, a little extracurricular recovery for you. It was just a little thing where as Marissa and I were you know, going back and forth. Hopefully can thought, help hey, some of you guys out there. If you think it can, please it share this. Yeah. Please tell others about it. Check you want to, you know, if there's other topics you would love us to talk about, we can bring to you. Let I would us love know. to have you guys share your stories, man. I would love to hear more of them. I want to know you. I want to get, I want to get to be a part of your, of your story too. So mm-hmm. don't, don't hide from them. You know, share them. I mean, it's not easy. It's kind of, I'm kind of a boob. So you know, I cry a lot, mm-hmm. but like, let's, let's get real. Let's, let's stop hiding behind all the facades of strength and, and anonymity and let's get real. I mean, yeah we're vulnerable people anyway marissa we should probably go get something to eat yeah i think it's past dinner (laughs) thanks guys athletes coach blue robinson here for over four years now we've been producing podcasts youtube videos and other online resources to assist all those who are struggling with addictions erase it and replace it with things of greater value that's why today we're excited to launch our very own fundraising campaign through patreon we invite you to jump on patreon.com backslash addict to athlete all one word and take a look at the five tiers that we've created of support each tier comes with a specific amount that you'd be willing to donate to assist addict to athlete in continuing to produce podcasts youtube videos and other online resources to assist those who need the extra help establishing their very own sobriety because addict Athlete is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We rely heavily on donations. And through this Patreon account, we can now give back to all those who are willing to support Team Addict to Athlete as we grow and as we build more content. You can select from one of the five tiers available, and by doing so, qualify yourselves for merchandise, exclusive offers, podcast shout outs 
being listed in our Hall of Champions and receiving bonus material and content that only our Patreon subscribers will have access to. We are very aware that in this day and age, it takes a community and a team to support recovery. And as you hear me say often, the troops aren't coming, we are the troops. Therefore, help us eradicate addiction and helping turn those messes of addiction into messages of hope, sobriety, and ultimately healing. Again, check us out, patreon.com backslash addict2athlete for more information.